clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock so ring that buzzer it sounds like a lion roar <laughs> and open the door to join us for meeting 14 of the animal fan club i'm pelican beak apartment renter meredith and i'm dear truther mike and we meet here every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station <laughs> to talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. <laughs> so saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Hi, Mike. Hey, Meredith, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Myself also. Yeah. How was your week in animals? My week in animals was good. There was a story I forgot to tell last week that I think is like the best. Okay. So this isn't my week in animals of this past week, like maybe like two weeks ago. Oh, it's time is non-linear here at the fan club. Especially when it comes to like interacting with these deer creatures out in the world. I was made fun of once when I was little because I said like animals are like my celebrities. So like when I go to the zoo, I freak out and I like see the okapi across the way and I run. Right. I run because I want to get to them as soon as possible because I'm like so excited to see them. And I feel like a lot of them are, you know, they're much fabled for people that live, you know, in our area of the world. Like animals that you would see on a safari are so coveted and so interesting to us. We don't, you know, it's not a squirrel, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Interactions with animals, I think, like this are always, like, few and far between. I didn't even have this interaction, so I'm already, like, making this story really lame. But it just blows my mind. Okay. Okay, I'm holding on tight. So we were staying, um, a group of us were staying at this kind of, like, artist residence upstate in Ackerd, New York. Sure. It's an artist space that was a converted train depot. So this is a building that's been there for like 120 years. Sounds like a good place for some Death Watch beetles to lay there. <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking about that when you were talking wow. about that. But anyway, so this didn't happen in to the room where Anthony and I were staying, but rather the kind of the area, the room where the other people were staying. So Sunday morning comes along. I come downstairs from waking from my slumber. And one of the girls is like, I have to tell you about this crow. And I was like, what happened with the crow? And she was like, we were woken up this morning by a crow perched on like the window ledge, tapping on the window. She was woken up to the sound of tap, 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 tap. Whoa. And she thought someone was knocking on the door. But she like gets up and like looks out the window and it's a crow at the window and it like squawked. It was like, and then it goes tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. And then the other person wakes up and is like, what the fuck? What is going on? Who's knocking at the door? And they look at the window and it's this crow. And it's like, tap, tap, tap. And then I think one of them tried to grab their phone to take a picture or a video because they immediately thought of Anthony. it didn't happen. Yeah. Or like they thought of Anthony and me like being the biggest bird nuts. Yeah. Class Ave squad. Class Ave squad for sure. But when they went to get the camera, it, it flew away. Oh, yeah. But I was like, the first thing I thought was like, wrong room, dude. Totally wrong room. Totally wrong room. You you miscalculated. Like the bird people were over here. Come squawk at our window. The famous <laughs> Melissa Etheridge bird song. Come squawk in my window. I'm in the next room. 
I think that maybe this bird was just trying to cause mischief. Maybe they had like a mischief blog where they wrote about the mischief that they caused. And so they were like, today we pestered humans and we knew that the bird people were in this room, but we didn't want to wake them up because they're friends of birds. Right. So we knocked on the window of the people that don't like birds and got them out of bed. I love that. I love the idea of a crow mischief blog, by all means, please. But I kind of went a more rational direction. I'm like, okay, this building has been here for 120 years. Maybe there's been some historical practice of like interacting with crows there because it seems like it was doing something that maybe belied an experience or set of experiences in its past where it was like gaining some sort of reward. Yeah, a learned behavior. Yeah, learned behavior. Seeking a treat. A treat or even just like interaction or attention because as we know, crows are super duper smart. Yeah. Very smart and have like a wide variety of documented rituals that they do with one another. And just like crazy facial recognition things that they can do. These, These birds are insanely smart and i don't think we can even really we'll never get to a point where we can grasp what they can do yeah what they're capable of intellectually but anyway so i'm like knowing this about crows and i'm like why just why what were its past experiences that it it knows to come to this window and tap 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 look for a response i like that story meredith my creature story is that I was riding on the subway as i'm want to do and i encountered a cat who appeared to be living in a railway station. Well, in the subway station. Stop it. I'm feeling a lot of Skimble Shanks energy. I bet you are. And so I was like, oh my God, it's the Skimble Shanks. This is very exciting. But Skimble Shanks is the cat of the railway train. It's not the cat of like the subway or the light rail. Or the MTA. Or the MTA. So I would like to propose Sneaker Danks. The cat of the MTA. Sneaker danks. There's a whisper down the line at 1139 when the E train is ready to depart saying, Sneakers, where is Sneakers? He's gone to hunt the beepers. We must find him or the train can't start. Okay. At 1142 with the train overdue as per usual and the passengers all frantic to depart. That's when I would appear and I'd saunter to the rear. That's when I would appear and I'd saunter to the rear. I'd been strolling in Central Park. Amazing. Sneaker Danks, the subway Subway cat. cat. The cat Cat of the the MTA. So I'm just here to tell you, this is what cats can do for you. (laughs) It can brighten your day and you can sing songs on the subway train and giggle like a goddamn idiot. Love it. Wait, so you're saying your sneaker dank. Well, it's kind of hard because it, it, it is in the text where it changes. It's different people describing Skimbleshanks. Right. And then Skimbleshanks speaking as a character. Right. So it was confusing. I didn't make that clear. It's okay. I mean, just listening to Cats, there's a lot of things that aren't clear. I think listening to it, it would be more clear because you would hear the ensemble singing about Skimble and then you would hear Skimble come out and speak of his own sneaker danks. The subway, subway cat, cat, the cat, cat of the, the subway. <laughs> That's all I have to say about Secret Day. <laughs> Should we kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer? Let's do it. Ready? Okay. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Animals like us. Phylum. Nematoda. They've got a tubular digestive system. Class. Anoplia, ancestrally diverged nematodes. Order. Trichocephalida, all of them are parasites. Family. 
Trichinella day. They like human hosts. Genus. Trichinella, the smallest human nematode parasite. Species. Spiralis. It causes trigonosis. It's also called the pork worm because it's found in undercooked pork. Ooh. Oh, no. But I'm actually very fascinated in this stuff. Yeah. Well, this is uh, something that Meredith and I have in common is that we've both worked in the food service industry long enough that we are certified food handlers in the city of New York. Indeed. I'm sure Meredith's training and knowledge is more up to speed than mine. You do learn about trigonosis. Right. Because you have to learn these different meats have to be cooked to different temperatures. Right. For health safety reasons. And with pork, it's 160 degrees or else you're going to get trigonosis. Right. Well, I don't think that's a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. That's our promise. The trigonosis promise <laughs> ensures that everyone gets trigonosis unless they cook their meat to 160 <laughs> degrees. It is untrue. Also found in walrus meat, for the record. Interesting. I know. The nematodes are round worms. They are tiny little buggers. They're in the same clade as insects. The clade ectosozoa, ectosozoa, I guess. Okay. E-C-D-Y-S-O-Z-O-A. Clade means that they have a common ancestor. Okay. That's what clade means. So clade can exist at any place in the taxonomic rank. And so in this case, insects and, I guess, nematodes are in the same clade, even though they are different phylums. Whoa. Okay. So, well, phylum for insects would be arthropoda. Arthropoda. Yeah. And then these are nematodas or nematodae. Nematoda, nematoda. Nematoda. Cool. So again, more things that we didn't understand because I think both of us thought of clade as being like walruses and seals or something like that, like something much closer related. Or I also just thought of it maybe as a more um, like a division of class, like infra order would be a division within order. Yeah. So I don't, I just don't know. That's what I mean though, is that it's like a sliding thing. It can really exist anywhere. Right. Like what it means transcends Linnaean rank. Like it's right. happened because it's happened at so many different periods in evolution. Right. That it can't be tied down to just one exact category. You know when there are houses built on new property or like houses built in a neighborhood and they'll be like four eighty-two and a half. Yeah. Because it's just like the the growth or the understanding within a system is like expanded the system. Yeah. So we've had to like further qualify all of these ranks mm. as we discover more and more about, you know, their common ancestors or shared traits or whatever. We've had to become more and more specific because it turns out the more we learn as technology develops, the ranks need to be expanded. And just like how occasionally you'll get a sixth and a half avenue which would be a way of dividing a larger distance than a 482 and a half street address. Mm-hmm. It can happen on different scales as well. Sure. Absolutely. Roundworms. Nematodes are roundworms. They're different than flatworms. Mm-hmm. They have a tubular digestive system and they have openings at both ends. We think there's about 25,000 nematode species, I guess, but they're tough to tell apart. I'm sure. They live in nearly all ecosystems, saltwater, freshwater, soils, polar regions, tropics. They frequently outnumber other animals in both individual and species counts. So if you counted the number of animals, most of them are nematodes. And if you count the number of species, most of them are nematodes. Yes. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They represent 90% of animals on the ocean floor. So these are the beetles of the sea. They're more the beetles of Earth's lithosphere. 
which is the crust, pretty much. So they've been found as deep as 12,000 feet below the surface of the earth in gold mines in South Africa. Wow. They just kind of live in lots of places. Yeah. There's approximately 4.4 times 10 to the 20 nematodes in Earth's topsoil, which is to say like four, four, and then 20 zeros after that. Yeah. It's about 60 billion nematodes for every human. That puts it into perspective. They're very small. I think it's like 1.5 millimeters is the average size length. Mm Mm-hmm. The Trichinella spiralis is the one that we're talking about now, which is the one that causes trichinosis. Sure. It's the smallest nematode parasite in humans. They mature in the small intestines of a meat eater, say a pig, okay? And each adult female who comes to maturity in the intestines makes a batch of live larvae who bore through the intestinal wall and enter the bloodstream and the lymphatic system. They travel to striated muscles where they insist... They insist. It's spelled E-N-C-Y-S-T. This is another thing like seeing it written. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. But saying it out loud. They they encapsulate themselves within a cyst. Yeah, they make a capsule. They insist. They make themselves into a cyst. Humans become infected when they eat infected pork, horse meat, or wild carnivores, foxes, cats, bears, walruses, etc. Whoa. Mm-hmm. These little guys are only uh, 1.5 millimeters long, which is very small. They have a large copulatory pseudobursa on each side of their head. And you know that alien in Star Wars where she has these like two like giant pigtails of flesh that come like out of her head and around the side kind of? Yeah, I don't I don't know Star Wars, but I can actually picture exactly what you're talking about. Well, it's like her cousin who has the horns that kind of like go up a little bit, but they're like fleshy. That's what the nematode thing looks like. Copulatory bursa. Pseudobursa. Pseudobursa. I've heard about bursa as something like cuz I know cuz I bruised my bursa once. Oh. I bruised a bursa in I think it was my left shoulder when I slipped on some ice and caught myself. And then I climbed a tree and made it worse. That's typical. But I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you bruised your bursa. So I had like lost motion in my arm for a while. Wow. It's fine now, but it's like a, it's like a, like a cushiony piece of like stuff, like sinew in your, between your joints. Is your bursa copulatory? I've never seen anything try to make love to my shoulder innards, but I don't know. And is it a full bursa or a pseudo bursa? I think it's a full bursa. So it sounds like we found a difference between you and the nematodes. I was really searching for those differences. So after the humans eat the infected meat, the nematodes travel to their intestines where they repeat the process that they did in the pig, where they burrow into the intestine, mucus, mucosa, intestinal Uh walls, and they mature and reproduce. This causes fever and pain brought on by the humans, the host, we're calling it a human, but this can this is not just humans. This right. is really any predator. Sure. Brought on by the human's inflammatory response, like when mm. you inflame in reaction to something inside you. So these ladies live then for about six weeks, producing about 1,500 larvae. The nematode lives within a single muscle cell, which it extensively modifies according to its own requirements. So it moves in and it's like, girl, we are redecorating. I said I wanted an open floor plan, kitchen, living room experience, but it just wasn't in this house. We're just going to knock down this cell wall, move these <laughs> mitochondria over here. We say we don't know biology. Yeah, we clearly do. <laughs> Regarding trigonosis, 
Symptoms appear between 12 hours and two days after the ingestion of the infected meat. Nausea, vomiting, sweating, diarrhea. Like five days later, facial edema, which is fluid retention, and fever. Ten days after the intense muscular pain, just difficulty breathing, weakening of pulse and blood pressure, heart damage, various nervous disorders. Like, trigonosis fucks you up. (laughs) Seems like it. And they do have some, like, anti-parasitic medicine that they can give you, but really they're just kind of managing your symptoms, and, like, then the infection will generally clear, I guess. But it's just best to cook all pork products to a minimum temperature of 160 degrees Fahrenheit in order to avoid getting trigonosis. Yes. This disease is a significant cost to pork manufacturers. It can cost up to $3 per pig to screen for these nematodes. Oh, boo-hoo. But some slaughterhouses can reduce that cost to 30 cents per pig as, you know, you scale up and you, your expenses change the way you have to spend money changes. I mean, we're talking like a $500 million additional cost just from this one creature. Right. This tiny Tiny, tiny little nematode. But look, that to me just seems like the price of doing business. You want to deal in pigs, you got to pay that. Because no one's life is worth anywhere near that amount. Uh, Yeah, I From my perspective, I can't speak for the pork magnates out there, but. I'm less concerned with the impact on the pork magnates as I am just, I guess, the overall cost of production and Mm -hmm. the eventual cost to consumer. Because it's not like the magnates are just eating that cost. You know what I mean? They're passing that on to consumers, I guess. Right. But I'm not actually really thinking about even necessarily the economic impacts of it. I think it's just, it's such a small little nematode and to be foiling us. Right. And clearly we think we're the dominant species. We are not. You're so right. I think that's a really, really good point in general is, you know, all the exceptionalism we place upon ourselves and everything, but we could be taken down by a parasite. Right. That became strong enough. Right. I like that bit of perspective for sure. Now we're waging our own war against the parasite through sentience and food preparation and food handling safety. Right. I'm sure that somewhere somebody is studying a way to like genetically modify a pig so that they don't get trigonosis. Or some sort of thing that the pig could be inoculated with. Right. That would prevent the growth or the hospitable conditions that a trichinosis would love. But until that happens, remember, heat your pork to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Just get a meat thermometer. You'll be happy you did. Essential kitchen tool. Let's take a break. Do it. Falcon got your leg? Cat got your wing? Bear spread your gut out across the floor's floor? Orca has you partially digested? Then you need Brand Clubby Injury Insurance. That's exactly right. With Brand Clubby Injury Insurance, you can maintain the peace of mind that even if you are mauled while romping through the meadow or assaulted while making your way through the NYC park system, you and your family, brood, clutch, or litter will be taken care of through your recovery or untimely death. Remember, with Brand Clubby Insurance, Predators are nothing but a motivation to run faster. Burn those calories, girl. Agents are standing by. Call today. So we're over here surfing the web. 
And we've come across some pretty funny reviews of animal products found on Amazon. And we thought we'd share them with you. You too can do this, listener. You just have to find an animal product on Amazon and read the reviews. So this first one is very short and sweet. It's a plush. It's the Hansa life-size giraffe stuffed animal. And the price for this is a whopping $1,032.39. The top review for this product is five stars. It says, I ordered a big-ass giraffe, and sure enough, I got a big-ass giraffe. That's a pretty good review. I really, I think this would actually be a hilarious addition to my apartment, but do I want to spend $1,032 on it? No. So I'm looking at this dog chew toy that's a bottle of rosé. The concept of it is that it's a plastic water bottle with a cover on it. I'm just going to the one-star reviews. I just want to hear about this product failing. Yeah. So, you know, it it arrived at 6.30 p.m. and I gave it to the dog. And by 6.50, the dog had the cover off and was trying to eat the plastic of the bottle. Not for super chewers. (laughs) $7.99 for 30 minutes. This person says, it's okay. It did not work for my puppy. She played a few times. Then it's broken. I did not find that comment useful. So this is a review for earphones. Um, Not a pet product, but pet related in the way this review is turning out. So these Soundpeats Bluetooth headphones. And it says, is this product cat proof? At least six of my earphones have been ruined by my cat. And then the responses are golden. Mark says, Yes, but you have to toggle the anti-cat switch in the settings menu. And then Rodion is saying, Bluetooth headphones aren't going to meet your needs. You should really consider quantum headphones instead. They're Schrodinger's cat-proof, so you can leave them in a closed room with a cat, and they will exist in both a shredded and an untouched state simultaneously until you look in the room again. Roger says, try spraying them with bear urine or put them in a box after use. Either solution will work about the same, but you may need to reapply the the urine frequently. Alas, bear urine won't work, tempting as it might be. Did you say bear urine? Bear urine. So I'm looking at a review of a hamster wheel. It claims to be a silent spinner. And this review is titled, Lasted 11 Days, The 10 Inches Has a Big Flaw. Need you say more? It was quieter than other wheels and spun well. But last night, the wheel broke off the base. Fortunately, our hamster was not injured. That's good news. That is good news. Well, that's been another journey down the rabbit hole that is funny Amazon-related or online product-related animal reviews. Yeah, totally. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who. Texana, muh. Kingdom. In Amelia, it's the point of this PCAST. Phylum. Cordata. Yeah, I've got a thing for spines. Class. Mammalia, but this one's pretty strange. Order. Filiadota, the Greek word for horny scales. Family. These are scaly ant eaters. Genus. Phytogenus. These babies hail from Africa. Species. Phytogenus tricuspis. They're scaly. They're stinky. 
it's the tree pangolin. Yes. Did you think I was doing pangolin? I didn't know you were doing a pangolin. When you were like, this one's kind of fun, I thought it was maybe going to be like a monotreme or something like that. I love a monotreme. But this is a scaly, I know the one you're talking about. These guys are super fascinating. And somehow in conversation, I was up or I was in Connecticut over the weekend with a group of people. And somehow the pangolin came up and I was like, <gasps> doing the pangolin. It's mostly just from a point of my own interest. And in like, I don't know a lot about them, but they're these crazy, crazy mammals. They look nuts. I guess I don't really know anything about a pangolin. Oh, okay. They're pretty cool. Like, check these stats out. Are you I'm... ready for a stat slap? Give me a stat slap. All right, let me just try to describe them first because to me, they kind of look like cross between maybe an armadillo, but like very kind of in the sense that they have some sort of outside armor. Sure. They look like scuttling little beetles in that way, but they're not. They're mammals. Don't get it twisted. But also they're like anteater shaped and they're covered almost like dinosaur-like in these crazy scales, right? So they curl up like an armadillo and they've got this armor like an armadillo, but they're shaped like an anteater. Where do these guys live again? This is actually a great entry in, a path in to the taxonomy. So we go from Mammalia to Philiodota, so the scaly anteaters. Uh-huh. And then from there, we have the family Manidae, not to be confused with Mantidae. It's, yeah. That's very close. Yeah. Could not be more different. They'd sit next to each other in history class. <laughs> so we go to Manidae. And so then the next division of family, it, this is where it gets into three genera. So to get back to your question of where do these guys come from. So there's three genuses. So one, the Manus genus has four in Asia. Then we have the Fatagenus genus that comes from Africa. And then there's the Smutanesia genus that also comes from Africa. So these guys hail from Asia and Africa. Mm-hmm. And actually the word... Um, Smut, Smutanesius? Nope. Pangolin. The pangolin? The pangolin. I think the word for it in a dialect of like Indonesia is one that falls up. I see. So it's going to be more like Southeastern Asia and then also Africa is Uh where you find these pangolins. Is the armadillo also like a scaly anteater? No, I don't think they're in the anteater vibe at all. Uh Uh-huh. They don't seem to be. No. A very interesting characteristic that I have down here is that like the giant anteater, the tree pangolin or the pangolin in general is interesting in that it's got this long tongue, but it's not a tongue like ours that connects to the hyoid bone, so the, the jaw bone. Yes. It actually originates down in the sternum. What? The connection of their tongue. You just pointed like right to your the end of your sternum. That is a long tongue. So when it's outstretched collecting ants and termites like these guys love. So they're very um, strong in their upper body and they've got these claws to give them the ability to break up ant mounds and termite mounds that then expose all these termites. And then they use their long tongues that originate, they're rooted, connected at the sternum, crazy, and they extend 16 inches and they're sticky. So they like just... And they collect these ants and bring them back in, slurp them in. 
And here's where it gets more interesting in that these guys don't have teeth. So they just suck these ants and termites in and then they move down into their bellies where they've collected a bunch of stones. I see. It's like a full gizzard situation where they're like Gross. have stones in there that help break up. And there's actually scales in their bellies too, like scales on the outside that are made of keratin. Keratin-based scales inside their stomachs. So the insects don't burrow into their stomach. Right. Well, yeah, that and also to like help them digest because yeah, they don't rocks. have... They don't have teeth to help them chomp oh. them. I have a couple things to say. Yes. I will talk more about this at a different juncture, but I had an anteater puppet stuffed animal thing mm-hmm. where you would put your hand inside of it and there was a sort of mechanism like around the sternum and you could extend the tongue out the front of the mouth of the anteater and retract it. That's amazing. The inside pouch was a sort of like smooth material. It wasn't like scaly on the inside and there were no rocks. <laughs> Probably not. But it was also not a scaly anteater puppet. It was like an anteater with hair puppet. Right. It was not a pangolin puppet. Right. Right. Which, I mean, until you see these things, you're like, wait, what is this? Like, what is this creature? Like, the shape is familiar, but the scalature is just... The scalation? The scalation is so strange. So these are the only mammals with these keratin scales. Keratin is the same stuff that makes up our fingernails. Right. And that ladies use to strengthen their hair. Well, it's what our hair is as well. It's made of keratin. And why you get like keratin treatments to like strengthen your hair. They've got this armor. There are these overlapping scales, fingernail scales across their backs. But on their undersides, on their bellies, they're furry. It sounds like an ah real monster monster. (laughs) Yeah. With fingernails all over its back. I loved how that one ah real monster monster had armpit hair. He also happened to be the one that held the eyes up over his head. (laughs) Of course. So his armpit hair was always just like, boink. (laughs) Apparently, they might be the same as our fingernails, but they're very different than reptilian scales. Uh Like we're talking a completely different thing. But this would be a good question to see is if a armadillo shield of armor that it wears, like the armadillo hood, what is that? Dome? The armadillo dome? I think we can go with that. Okay. The carapace of yeah. the armadillo. Yeah. Is that made of keratin as well? I don't know anything about armadillos. Another great animal. Another weird animal. Scales on top, furry underneath. So these scales help when they curl up. They curl up in a ball like an armadillo and also like a pill bug uh-huh. for protection. And so they kind of look like weird scaly soccer balls. When they have young, they curl up around their young and keep them protected in there as well. The scales are sharp too. Kind of like a Lower East Side punk vibe. A little bit. But if the punk had like, you know, the great rumpus cat where he had those scales that kind of went back and down. Of course. They like follow the contour of the body rather than the punk that's like sticking straight out. I see. I was thinking maybe more of the jackets, like a studded jacket. Yes. I was haircut. You're very keratin focused right now. But I did see a picture on Wikipedia. There was a whole jacket made of pangolin scales that was presented to one of the Georges. Mm. Maybe like George VIII or something. I don't know. Sorry, English history scholars. I'm not. I want to say it was like the very early 19th century that this like coat of pangolin scales was presented gross but that's actually hinting at something that'll come up later oh in terms of trafficking these creatures green light yeah well why don't we just talk about that now i think that's great these are the most trafficked creatures in the world because their scales are actually used often or a very highly valued like luxury medicinal item in traditional chinese medicine yeah 
because it said that these scales will help with lactation and fertility generally Mm -hmm. when ground up and used in various ways. So, I mean, there's like massive trading routes for pangolins throughout Asia and Africa. And Africa, combination of deforestation and they're a very popular luxury form of bush meat. It was the name. I've had some bush meat before. (laughs) When we went to Africa, they were selling rat. You know, grass cutter, just like this big rodent on the side of the road. And we definitely had some. Not for me. It's not the only time I've had bush meat, though. What are you saying? Sometimes, you know, you get lost in a bush and there's some meat there. And like, what are you? What else are you going to do but eat it? Oh, yeah, that clears that up. The pangolin is very threatened. Do you feel threatened? No, not at all. Okay. It sounds like people have a real excitement for the pangolin and pangolin adjacent accessories. Right. It's a big deal. And there's so there's like various organizations and Nat Geo videos you can watch about like George, the pangolin savior and stuff. Like somebody who lives in one of those areas, say in West Africa is where um, these tree dwelling pangolins reside. I think I've been talking more generally about pangolins. Than your specific species. Than my specific species. Uh I will say that the thing that distinguishes them is that they live in trees and they often burrow in like hollow tree trunks as opposed to burrowing in the ground. And they're a little bit smaller. And then they also have prehensile tails that they're able to hook onto a tree limb. And then they're able to kind of like use their upper body strength and claws to expose tree bark and then the bugs and the termites therein. Well, I'm going to have a stat slap back and just recap. So we got spiny keratin scales. We have a prehensile tail. They live in trees. They swallow rocks because they don't have teeth. So the rocks in the inside of their scaly stomach, which also has inside scales, help grind up these termites. And they swing from the tree in there with their prehensile tail. Right. And sometimes they're bipedal or bipedal. Oh. And that they, with the help of their prehensile tail, they can actually like walk on rather than on fours on twos. Oh my God. So they're kind of like, come at me, bro. Like that famous anteater pose. The anteater doing their mantis impression. Yes, exactly. What's up? You can do it. That's the pangolin. And please look them up and support their cause. Every third Saturday of February is World Pangolin Day. So it's coming up. Oh. We should celebrate it on the Instagram and on the episode closest to the third Saturday in February. We'll uh, definitely remember to post on the Instagram probably. At Animal Fan Club Pod. Slide into our DMs. Please do. Hey, Greg. How's your hibernation prep going? Pretty good, Hernando. I've had 80 pounds of salmon every day this month, and my body mass is nearly doubled. Sounds like you're on a good trajectory. Have you prepared your den? What's your sleeping situation like? Oh, Hernando, I'm just using the same set I have for years. I do always wake up with a backache, but home is home. Greg, you need an upgrade. Have you heard about High Bear Nation, the new Bear Den Hibernation Kit from Brand Clubby? Um, I have not. Tell me more. It's a comprehensive, complete kit, including a mattress, gentle wake-up full-spectrum alarm lamp, and a security system which utilizes NARTOOTH technology so you can sleep soundly. That all sounds so luxurious. It is. High thread count microfiber sheets that are easy to wash in the local salmon stream. 
Wow. A dynamic biodegradable sedge-based mattress that adapts to your changing body mass during the winter. My, my. And the hashtag High Bear Nation online community, which is very active. Post your selfie and get some likes. You can even come up with your own hashtag for your den. Mine is hashtag Hernando's Hideaway. Hashtag Olay. Use code Dark Secluded Place to save 5% at checkout. Oats? Oh, we're in the feed bag, aren't we? Yeah, I guess we must be. Hang on, let me open my eyes. Yeah, definitely the feed bag. Yep, we're here. Okay, okay, let's go. Fillmore Quacks from Brooklyn asks, how do real ducks feel about duck decoys? Whoa, where do we see duck decoys? Duck decoys are used in duck hunting to attract ducks. Okay. Because ducks are like, yo, there's a duck. Let's Let's get into some ducking good times. (laughs) They duck on over to be near that duck. Ducks might not feel great about duck decoys because it's just a bait and switch, right? Yeah. Well, definitely emphasis on the switch. Right. Well, baited with another duck and then it switched out for a gun. Yeah. I don't think that ducks like duck decoys. I think that ducks don't understand that they're decoys until it's too late. Right. And I don't know that the ducks ever learn not to go near the decoy. Well, then maybe that's not true. Maybe ducks do like duck decoys, which is why they just can't stop flying towards them. Oh, right. Yeah, we're taking a much larger picture of it. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to say that ducks like duck decoys, but if they knew better, they would know they've been bamboozled. Right. A fish position. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Derek from Colorado asks, do spoonbills eat oatmeal? What would a spoonbill eat? I bet spoonbills, you know, these tropical birds with a spoon-shaped bill. Yes. They probably eat some sort of fish or aquatic life, I would say. They're probably really not into grains. I think that it's more the focus on things that you eat with the spoon. And I would think maybe they'd be more interested in like a sherbet or perhaps some sort of slushy, maybe a frozen mark. Sure. That seems more in keeping with their tropical nature. Right. Yeah. An oatmeal. I feel like maybe if this was like a bird of the north. Right. A loon. Do loons like oatmeal? Definitely. Yeah. Same with larks. Larks. Partridges even. Yeah. Probably all the Fezionidae. Right. Whereas. At least the northern ones. Right. Of course. Of course. I mean, partridges live in cereal fields. So. Uh Uh-huh. They're all about that oatmeal. Where spoonbills? No. Also, is the spoonbill really that equipped to scoop oatmeal? Because then there'd have to be a whole, like, knocking the neck back situation to get that sweet, creamy oatmeal down their gullets. Yeah. It seems like they would be more, they'd have to be more of, like, a, a sucking creature or something with, a like, a shorter spoon apparatus. But the, the, the long spoonbill, I just don't think so. Yeah, I agree with that. Like a demi-toss spoon. Yeah. Apparatus. Or like if you had like a partridge instead of that cute little pointy beak that they have that's like galliaform oriented, like chicken-like. Yeah, cocks. Cocks. It would be more spoon-like, so maybe more like a duck even. Just like a, a flatter, smooth, like a flatter, shorter beak uh-huh. would be more equipped to scoop oatmeal than would be the long, elongated spoon-shaped bill of the spoon bill. Cogent point. Thank you. A fish position. Ding, 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 ding. They don't eat oatmeal. Da-ding. 
Ricard from Austria asks, What's that living in my wall? Is it a rodent? Oh, Ricard. I'm sorry to hear that you are hearing bumps in the night. Yeah. That's never fun. Never fun. I think there's something living in my wall. I think it's a rodent. That's more from the size of it. Hmm. I feel like it's not an insect. I feel like it sounds like it's more massive than a typical New York City bug. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think it's maybe like a mouse or something. I I feel like rodents make like a distinctive scurrying sound, but maybe it could be confused for a bird, I guess. I don't... Sure, like a certain scritching. Yeah, maybe like an Austrian finch. Sure. But see, Ricard, what you got to worry about then is if you've got this scurrying in your wall, you will soon know by the stench that comes when it inevitably dies. That's true. In your wall. Unless there's a form of egress, as they would say, into and out of that wall, in which case you have bigger fish to fry and you need to plug up that hole. Yeah. So I guess our fish position is, well, Ricard, probably. Yeah. It's a rodent. And you should consider your options for rodent management. Yes. Presently. Sure. Either suffer through that smell of the decay of that flesh or pay a lot of money to get somebody in there to like somehow get it out. Or if you quit hearing it and you don't smell the smell of flesh, you probably have a bigger problem in that there's a hole that they can get in and out of. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan.